Hello, and welcome to the Daily Zen podcast. My name is Charlie Ambler. I'm the creator of the Daily Zen, the book Daily Zen, which is a collection of my essays, and twitter.com slash daily zen, which is where this whole thing lives. Uh, I've rebooted the podcast. I've released one regular episode this week, and I'm going to release one more regular episode and then start releasing the second episode each week on Patreon, which is this subscriber platform, just so that I can, you know, start garnering an audience of people who are willing to support, uh, do things like live stream meditations, uh, offer a free PDF of my book, stuff like that. So just a heads up that that'll be in your midst on Twitter. I've also started writing essays again, so those will be available and premium secret essays will be available on Patreon as well. Um, if you want to see that, the link is on Twitter, but it's patreon.com slash dailyzen. So today I'm going to discuss a few different topics that were suggested on Twitter. The first one is how do we balance between being detached and being fully present in modern times? which is certainly a loaded question, but I think the most important place to start is to remember that people tend to confuse this idea of, you know, quote-unquote, Buddhist non-attachment with this idea of detachment, which is sort of a modern idea, whereas the Buddhist idea of non-attachment is a, an ancient idea. And whereas... You know, it's a semantic thing, but non-attachment is, you know, this practice by which we try not to grab at things, whether there are thoughts, other people, material stuff, ideologies, things like that. Now, detachment, while technically, you know, meaning the same, having the same root meaning, is more of a state instead of a practice. It's more of a sort of a nihilistic denial of the world um, of pleasure or affectation or whatever. Um, you know, maybe a denial of sincerity. Uh, and that's sort of a... There's just an important difference between the two. And so I think the secret of this, you know, topic is that being fully present and being healthily non-attached are the same thing. When you're fully present, um, you're not being a hedonistic, nihilistic, indulgent, undisciplined person. You're just able to weigh the past and the future into you know this apex of the present moment in a in a healthy way and in a constructive way, and so you're not so much detached as you are fully engaged with what you're doing now. You're detached, quote-unquote, from things that happen, memories, preconceptions, um, future obligations, anxieties, fears, and you can kind of do what you're doing in the most organic and natural way possible, which is what we call in Zen beginner's mind. It's sort of this, you know, retraining your mind to think like... Um, a child or a beginner would because there's so many opportunities in your brain when 
you let yourself be new to something or you let yourself be bad at something or you let yourself make mistakes. But as we refine our behaviors and we cultivate this sort of habitual sense of uh, acuity or uh, skill, while we might get better at things, we also lose a certain amount of mobility and flexibility. And so, you know, sort of the way that if you lift, if you start lifting weights and you lift, you know, progressively 10, you know, 10 pounds more, you add 10 pounds to your squat each week, but you never stretch, you know, eventually you're going to be, there's going to be a day, one week where you're squatting 500 pounds and there's going to be a day the next week when you're squatting zero pounds because you injured yourself because you let yourself become too rigid and too um, effectively too skilled instead of sort of having a balance and having some sort of um, back and forth to your practice. So if we apply that metaphor to life at large, we find that balance without even really having to try because it comes from not trying. And that's difficult to do. I like that the question is worded specifically in the realm of modern times because it's very difficult to do that when there are so many abstract mass media influencing, I don't mean like the media, like the news, I mean, you know, the internet, TV, radio, uh, conversation with people living in cities, all of these delivery systems that take concepts and push them onto us without our really even realizing it. Um, and much of what is in fact ideology and is invented that we believe, we take as pure fact because we've been so conditioned and so accustomed to all of this quote-unquote common sense. Um, so, you know, in an era where you can't, deni- you can't um, deny or, or filter even sometimes the quality or the type of information that's being given to you, you have to learn how to, how to navigate your mind without someone telling you how. And that comes through cultivating mindfulness and things like that. And, uh, you know, again, it's a balance. And a balance means sometimes you're going to, sometimes you're going to screw up on one end and sometimes you're going to screw up on another end. You know, maybe you will at certain, certain points have to take on some sort of affect of detachment before you can understand what it is to be non-attached. Um, and maybe sometimes you will be sort of a sucker for, um, you know, appearing to be cool, calm, and collected, but not in fact practicing that, um, you know, wanting to seem, <laughs> wanting to seem uh, non-attached and being non-attached are opposites. You know, the same way that often people who are so, fo- so focused on wanting to look successful or look attractive become desperate or try hard or, you know, unappealing. And that's sort of the irony of effort that a lot of Eastern cultures figured out early on, but for some reason in the West, while we were good at a lot of other things, we didn't sort of cultivate this understanding of this esoteric balance between action and non-action that can lead to actually a higher 
functionality than just pure action. The writer uh, Nassim Taleb talks about that in his book Anti-Fragile, where you know there's a lot of systems, whether they're systems or parts of your body or models, mathematical models, financial models, you know, ways to approach life that benefit from chaos because nature benefits from chaos. Um, and if we impose too much rigidity onto the world, we find that chaos <laughs> uh, interrupts us very rudely and kind of knocks us down a peg. Um, you'll have to excuse my cat because when I'm, this happened last episode too, but I live in an apartment now with a, with a very young and adorable cat who uh, thinks when I'm talking to the phone that I'm talking to her and, uh, or when I'm talking to the microphone that I'm talking to her and she responds, so I apologize. So you might hear her, you know, and uh, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, maybe I'll have her on as a guest at some point, because Eckhart, as Eckhart Tolle said, cats are natural Zen masters. Talk about being non-attached. Um, okay, so next concept. Um, let's see. Oh, someone says avoiding monkey mind, which uh, I've wrote, written about a lot and talked about. And I guess, I mean, it's a kind of, you know, it's not like I invented that idea. Either. Everybody talks about that because we are, in fact, uh, descended from our fuzzy jungle inhabiting friends. Um, and we neglected to shed a lot of their traits that you know, there's not a lot that separates us at the end of the day in certain respects. Um, and there's a part of, of hu there's a part inside man that wants to be a beast and that wants to, you know, I mean, we see that in modernity, quote unquote, where you have every, every reason to believe that society is advanced, um, that we've used our incredible enlightenment and ideology to overcome um, hatred and violence and, you know, sexual, uh, I don't know, sexual, you know, I don't know what it is, not sexual deviance, but like sexual obsession or, you know, um, negativity or death, you know, all of these deeply carnal things that come from our weird primordial roots. Uh, we like to pretend on paper that we've transcended them, but we haven't. And you see that every day. You see people participating in complex financial systems just to make money so they can get laid. You know, you see people twisting and twisting and turning at various ideologies just so they can justify killing one another. Um, what else? You know, you see people participating in the most fundamentally basic human activities like exercise and diet so that they can fine tune some sort of really bizarre abstracted idea of success um, or attractiveness or appeal. Uh, we sort of walk this very bizarre balance between um, being animal and being like not even real, virtual. I mean, just the, the things that our day consists of um, are very bizarre, like kind of how you can be taking a shit while you're, you know, on this space age device looking at photos or whatever 
workout plans or whatever it is you look at daily zen tweets uh i think is weird because we are just organisms at the end of the day and yet we're constantly interacting with these inherited monolithic systems and processes that we in a lifetime could never understand but they've been built upon by everyone else um sort of like you know one person couldn't build the pyramids and yet there they are for anyone to experience after they exist uh So we like to convince ourselves that because of all this fancy stuff we have that we've reached a better place that humans have, you know, prog progressed than that we're going to continue to progress. Um, and I think there's a big part of Eastern philosophy, um, traditional Eastern philosophy, that says, no, man is, you know, this is sort of a Gnostic or um, a mystical tradition that I'm referring to. Uh, man has not changed fundamentally ever and uh, you know the world around him changes according to his will and his ego and his whim or whatever and the ideologies about the world and the interactions people have and you know the different types of people and beliefs that they have all kind of shift and morph over time but the human animal fundamentally really has not changed very much so spiritual wisdom you know which is just as primordial as the ability to breathe or the ability to run or you know sexual drive or fondness for sweet food or whatever it is you know that's just as fundamental to us um, and so there's no there's no transcending the monkey mind there's the the spiritual life is a way of engaging with it and learning how to make it work for us because we need we need a tempering force to to sort of push back against all of the crap that we you know if if you just let a human go you know eventually he looks a lot like a lot of modern people in cities who are just constantly you know every minute of every day is filled with distraction and yearning and obsession and you know thirst and addiction um but if you introduce a spiritual practice into that, you slowly start to see this swing back towards um, a more organic, even like plant-like uh, existence, you know, a nurturing, giving, slow-moving, um, simplified, um, sort of just a different way of engaging with the reality that we've been given that hasn't fundamentally changed ever. So in the in our practice, the same way, you know, when you meditate, you're not trying to um, achieve enlightenment or, you know, experience ego death or whatever it is. You're not trying to transcend monkey mind or avoid monkey mind. There's no avoiding it. It is you. And so it's just important to engage with it and get to know it and see your spiritual practice as something that helps you learn your way around it so that you can not get bogged down by it or not get over influenced by it or you know in best case scenario use it to your advantage um, because there are parts of modern life that require us to use the the, the physical impulsive um, fight or flight 
animal brain that we have. Uh, exercise being the most obvious example, diet being the most obvious example. You know, we're still, you know, I like the, the character in True Detective who says that we're sentient meat and we have to attend to that. You know, you have to stay, quote, you know, optimized in that respect in order to transcend that type of, that, that part of your being. That's a bit of a roundabout answer. That's an interesting, just the the word monkey mind sort of causes me to think about a million different things. So I'll probably come back to that in another episode. Um, someone asked, does Zen practice conflict with being a Christian? Which I think is a great, simple question the answer is no um, I don't think it really conflicts with anything because it's neither here nor there you know that's that kind of thing the was it I think one of the it's just an old proverb that the one of the old Zen masters used to say that enlightenment is a matter of gold and dung before you achieve it it's gold and after you achieve it it's dung and, you know, one of the big lessons of meditation is that in the realm of spirituality, unlike the realm of science or, you know, something where you're doing stuff that's purely empirical and purely um, engaging with, you know, an objective natural world, the human spirit is not, a, you know, it's not objective a lot of times. It's like pretty airy and hard to understand and nonsensical and paradoxical and so to you know hierarch to, to to create these hierarchies of ideologies when it comes to spiritual stuff doesn't really make sense and so to say that one can't simultaneously be a christian and you know a buddhist or a zen buddhist or whatever personally i think the labels are stupid um you know even the the person who uh, is a is a devout atheist on the internet and quote unquote like hates I'm saying quote unquote a lot I'm not sure why oh, that's a, a verbal tick. The person who claims to hate Christianity, um, you know, is their rationale when you ask them why do you hate Christianity? They'll say, "Well, I hate it because it's responsible. Religion is responsible for all the wars in the world, and I just want there to be world peace." And there's no more of an inherited Judeo-Christian interpretation of morality than the desire for world peace or the desire for, you know, a pacifistic world. Um, the same way I think it's funny how a lot of... Um, there's this divide, obviously, in our country between left-leaning people and, you know, right-leaning right people because, you know, the right-leaning people think the left-leaning people are a bunch of hippie communist degenerates. And the left-leaning people think the right-leaning people are a bunch of, you know, um, ignorant Christian, uh, you know, ideologues or Puritans. You know, both sides is, each side subscribes to the same sort of uh, puritanical ideology, but believes the other side to be, you know, heretic. The irony being that, you know, everybody effectively in the modern world um, wants the same, you know, they want the same things, the same 
you know, peace, freedom, ability to function, blah, 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 all of which were inherited from these, you know, ancient, first ancient and then European traditions of um, various Christian ideologies. Uh, the whole modern world emerged out of Christianity, so it's so I think it's so funny that for modern people to be, you know, pretending to be so secular when their very essence is um, Christian. And if they ever spoke to someone who, um, someone who, whose essence is, you know, maybe some sort of um, indigenous religion, uh, or someone who's like a real, you know, born and raised Buddhist or Hindu or a uh, Muslim. They'd, they'd understand this really radical rift between um, ideology and being, you know? So, yeah, go right ahead, you know? Do whatever you want. Study Zen, study Christianity. All the finest think thinkers of any tradition or any continent have um, always been eclectic and multidisciplinary. So... Um, you know, the act of meditation and the act of prayer are effectively the same thing. I mean, there's a, there's a common run-of-the-mill Christian, of course, who believes that, you know, prayer is literally asking God for whatever. Um, but people aren't, you know, people are really not that um, simple. People, people know that when they sit and pray for whatever it is that they're praying for, um, it's a way of communicating with oneself as much as it is a way of communicating with God or whatever. The same way meditating, you know, isn't, isn't about um, enlightenment or about Buddhism. It's about reflecting and understanding yourself better. So once we start to pick apart those, what seem like fundamental differences that we then realize are fundamental commonalities, it all gets a little bit, it gets a little easier to understand, and it gets a lot more fun, too, I think. I mean, I haven't felt that in a, I haven't felt in a long time the sort of thing that comes into the head that says, oh, don't read that, that's a bunch of shit. You know, I mean, unless it's really, you know, unless it's something that's really bad. I, for ideological reasons, you know, I never, like, see something and think, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to understand that. Um, because if you don't like something, you should understand it better even maybe than the stuff that you do like so if you feel an aversion to religion or you feel an aversion to um, anything just try to learn about it uh, I think most modern people feel an aversion to themselves without realizing it that's why we placate ourselves with religion or porn or video games or politics or whatever sort of fake um, virtual speculative realities we can invent um, because we don't like what we have become. Uh, and so how do you get to know better what, you, what you've become? You meditate, you reflect, you pray, whatever, whatever it is that you want to do. Just don't get lost in an ideology because that defeats the entire purpose. The purpose is to uncover, you know, to open doors, not to close them essentially. I think a lot of people equate wanting to open those doors with being all loosey-goosey and um, uh, detached, like we talked about earlier, but that's not, to, to be fully engaged with 
what you what you know, what you want to know, what is wise, what isn't wise. Um, just to be engaged, to be present, and to be wanting to be aware of these things is what constitutes uh, a any sort of religious or spiritual practice. Um, in the Christian tradition, I think the writer Thomas Merton is one of my favorites. Um, and then, like, Thomas Aquinas is also great. Um, what else am I thinking of? There's one. St. Saint Peter of Damascus, maybe, I think is another that I've enjoyed. Pretty limited understanding of Christianity, though, I will admit. I'm trying, starting to teach myself about Judaism because I'm a secular Jew, half, half secular Jew, and I just have practiced meditation my whole life and only studied Eastern philosophy, and I <laughs> figure it's time to learn about something else. Anyway, um, some, some people ask some weird weird-ass questions, I must say. <laughs> Most of them are great, though. This week's particularly, wow, there's a ton. I have to, I guess for the premium episode, I'll record um, more because I'm almost out of time. Someone says, staying positive and centered with all the negativity in the news and in the world. Um, oh, there she goes. I think the... So, stepping back for a second, you know, when we go back, when we, when we think about what we discussed earlier with Monkey Mind, um, you as a person in the world right now, chances are, if you're sitting at the, on the computer reading, you know, clicking on this to listen to it or whatever, you're not experiencing what's, <laughs> you're not experiencing what's going on in the news, um, the same way that the person who's watching a, a tele it's like people watch television shows and they know that you watch a horror movie and you know that the scary monster isn't in your house but when people watch the news they somehow make them they somehow take what is effectively fake because you aren't experiencing what is happening wherever it is and turn it into something real and let it color their whole I mean when I remember when Trump got elected I was on the subway in New York and you could it like everyone looked like someone had just stabbed their best friend in the eyes right in front of them like they were people were so affectedly you know pseudo sad because they had given themselves this whole uh, ideological steam bath for however many years, like most of, most people have it their whole lives, whether they're whatever side they're on. And then we have these events, these like speculative events that don't really change that much fundamentally in the world, but we convince ourselves that they do because we, it's a certain spiritual pettiness, I believe. And a lot of people will disagree with me, of course, because there are tangible consequences to Anyone who has power anywhere in the world, uh, even people in the day-to-day -day who have power in their relationships or their businesses or whatever it is, all the little tiny decisions impact each other. Um, but the way to not let it get you down is to remember that 
um, it's not, you know, there's a difference between what is, what is real right now and what is real out there. You know, what is real within you, you know, inside of you, and what's real everywhere else in the external world versus the internal world. And of course, it would be stupid for a person to pretend that nothing, that nothing, you know, bad or whatever is happening in the world. But um, the same sort of idealization that wants us to make everything good or everything peaceful or everything positive is the same. That that desire is what causes us to suffer when things inevitably are not the way that we want them to be. So it's kind of funny. I mean, being an optimist in a weird way makes you suffer more than being a pessimist because everyone's adaptive and if you adapt to your optimism when events occur inevitably that are negative you're gonna feel a certain shock you know um, the same way if you're too idealistic and if you're if you're pessimistic you're gonna feel pleasantly surprised if things go well um, but completely expectant when things don't go well, which happens a lot of the time. Um, and then I think in the middle way, which is what we quote, you know, we, we claim to practice in Zen, you're not really falling into either of those logic traps. You're able to understand things in context at all times. The context being that everything that's not happening to you right now, um, inside of yourself is happening out there. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't give it some of your attention, but it also doesn't mean you should let it impact your, your inner state um, as much as a lot of people do. And again, uh, meditation will help with that because it fundamentally helps us recognize the difference between what's outside and what's inside and helps us get to know what's inside so that we can navigate what's outside with a little more tact and a little more awareness. Not perfection or enlightenment, but you know, a little something more. So. Alright, well okay, that's the that's the second normal episode for this week. For now from now on there will be one regular episode each week and one premium episode each week available um, at patreon.com slash daily zen. The link will be on Twitter. And the only, the only, the, the smallest donation anyone can make is $5 a month and that gives you access to everything. There's no like um, ramped up special package or whatever. And you'll get the book, you get, you know, the free download of the book. Um, like live streams and events that I'm going to start planning and an extra episode of me talking about stuff each week. And uh, if you have any ideas for topics, please either DM me or just tweet at me, twitter.com slash daily zen. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Bye.